You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Be God to God in heaven and speaking to me. Well, listen, He's called our Heavenly Father. I wouldn't think much of a father that ever talked to his kids, right? Last Sunday, God spoke to me. And sometimes when God speaks to you, it's a little bit humorous. God ever said to you, you knucklehead? He does to me quite often. Last Sunday at the Lake Campus, I was with a good heart trying to acknowledge a gentleman that was back in church. He'd been out of church for a while. In fact, the Monday after Hurricane Matthew hit, uh, this gentleman had had open heart surgery, had four bypasses. And uh, I went up and was with him for surgery and uh, had a good day there. God bless. The surgery went well. Four or five days later, he was home. He was in church last week. And I just wanted to honor him and just praise God that he was there. So I recognized him and I said, folks, you may or may not know Bob Perot, but, um, but Bob had surgery the day after Hurricane Matthew hit and Bob's doing well and Bob is here today. And I just went on and on and on about old Bob. Got done, went back and sat out. I sat down and God said, you knucklehead. I said, what? And then it hit me. His name's not Bob. His name's Jim. Jim and his wife Susie, they're from up north. They've recently moved down. So I kind of made a joke this week with him. I told him that I was going to call him Jim Bob from now on. And that was going to be his southern name. So we had a good laugh about it. But as I was sitting there last week and beating myself up and just uh, bashing my head against my bulletin saying, why am I such a moron? I do that from time to time. God just spoke very clearly again to my heart. It's all right, Cameron. I know his name. And as they were taking up the offering, I like to have a shouting spell. Because I realize no matter how absent-minded we can be, God is never absent-minded. That even though there are things going on in your life and in my life that nobody else knows anything about, God knows. That God has the very hairs of our head numbered. And in some of y'all's cases, that's a whole lot of numbering. God knows your name. We're going to be talking about that this morning. Isaiah 43, verse 1. A messianic prophecy, but a wonderful passage for the Christian to consider. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and that he formed thee, you know, he formed you, and that he created you, he created you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. He even redeemed me. And I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou pass through the waters, I'll be with thee. With thee. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. And old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are crying out, Glory, hallelujah, amen, from heaven today. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He knows me, and He knows you by name. Father, I thank You for the precious promises of Scripture. Lord, that You do know us, not in a collective sense, as a church, or as the family of God, or even as Your bride. 
But Lord Jesus, you know us personally, intimately, everything about us. And for that, we give you praise and glory. Lord, we are humbled today over that thought. And God, I pray for that one that might be in this place today, and they may feel so unimportant, so insignificant, so unloved. God, that over the next few moments, they might realize not only are they loved, but they are the beloved. Not only are they cared about, but they are the very reason that Jesus came to planet Earth. Thank you for knowing our name. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.
name in three particular areas in the scriptures that we find specifically that God knows our name. Today, maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like you're just a face in the crowd. You're nobody important. Nobody ever takes a second look at you. Nobody would invest themselves in you. Oh, beloved, he does. And he will. Three areas. Number one, we're going to look at the call to conversion. The call to conversion, the fact that he specifically calls us to be saved. He he does not generically save us all. We think about the cross. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. That seems very generic, does it not? The world, the entire population of the world, all those who have lived in the past are living now and those who will live in the future. God knows us all and God sent Jesus to die for us all. That's not at all what John 3.16 is saying. John 3.16 continues and introduces us to the whosoever. You see, when Jesus died upon the cross, it was not for the generic world. It was not for the white folks, the black folks, or the Baptists, or the Lutherans, or the Methodists. But he died for us specifically. Maybe you've heard all your life that if you were the only person on planet earth that needed a Savior, Christ would have died just for you. That is precisely what John 3, 16 says. So we think about the call to conversion. Verse number 44 of John's Gospel, the 6th chapter, John 6 and 44. The Bible says this. No man can come to me, Jesus says, except the Father which has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in that last day. When we think about the call to conversion, it's important that we understand that salvation begins with a call. It is not when we decide because of our intellectual understanding that we are going to become a Christian. It is not based on us having a moral dilemma. It is not based on us coming to a a spiritual place in our life where we have arrived at some kind of level but it is literally a conversation between holy God and sinful man. I think about the Garden of Eden, and God spoke directly to Eve. Now you say, yeah, but she was the one of the two people on this planet. Beloved, I do not understand how God can speak to us today. Billions and billions and billions of people on this planet. Maybe you've seen the sign. Now think about this. This will preach. Maybe you've seen the sign at McDonald's. And they have to change it every so often. So many millions served. Now it's so many billions served. So you think about that. How is it that McDonald's, a restaurant, could serve billions and billions and billions of people? They did it one customer at a time. So how does God deal with all of these billions and billions? He does it one at a time. The omniscience and the sovereignty of God is something we will never fully understand. How God can be present in a worship service in China and present in a worship service in America at the same time. How God can be ministering to a saint of God nearing the end of her journey in the hospital and at the same time ministering to that person bearing their first child in the jungle. I don't understand it, but praise God I'm thankful for it. Praise God, I accept the truth that the call to conversion, the call to relationship begins with his invitation personally to me. Number one, we see it as a personal call. By the way, standing on the authority of the word of God, it is not a limited call. God does not have his favorites. Every once in a while, somebody will say, hey, have you got so-and-so's number? And I will look into my Rolodex of my iPhone and I will look in my contacts and I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't have their number. Beloved, may I say to you, every person that's ever drawn a breath, your name and your number is in God's Rolodex. 
He knows you. When Jesus was hanging upon the cross, it was not for the select, for the select or for the elect. The Bible says this, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men would count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us all. He was not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Now understand something. Not everybody will be saved. Not everybody's going to go to heaven when they die. But it's not because God picks and chooses. There is a personal call that goes out from the cross. Think about this. When Jesus was hanging upon the cross, we see those sayings of the cross that are so powerful. And I must say that my favorite is when Jesus looked down and all that was going around, those that were spitting and those that were cursing and those that were mocking and those that were stabbing and those that were doing all of these evil things. And he said, Father, forgive them. That four-letter word, them. He did not say, Father, give me a moment. Father, would you forgive him, but not him? Father, forgive her, but not her. Father, forgive that one, but not that one. He said, Father, forgive them. There is a personal call of salvation. When I was eight years old, most of you have heard this story, but it's my story. Now, I wasn't in a jail cell. I wasn't saved out of a life of alcohol and murder and all these kind of things. I was an eight-year-old little boy. And the gospel had been shared and been put out there and I had heard it. But on this particular day, as the teacher shared the gospel, something took place. It was more than head knowledge or ear knowledge. It was heart knowledge. And while the teacher was speaking to my ears and to my mind, the Holy Spirit of God began speaking to my heart. And he revealed personally to me that I had a personal need of salvation. I didn't look around and say, well, we all need to be saved, so I better get in on this. But I realized that the Holy Spirit of God knew my name and he personally called out to me. Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and say, well, my child's been asking a lot of questions. and They're only eight or nine years old, and I'm just not sure if they're ready. Listen, I want to tell you something. It isn't about me and you talking to them so much as it is God personally talking and interacting with their precious heart. I'm thankful to know that even though the disciples rebuked the little children and said, get away from Jesus, he doesn't have time for you, that as an eight-year-old boy, Jesus had time for me. There's a personal call. Number two, I can't get sweaty because i got to wear this suit to like midnight. <laughs> Not only is it a personal call, there is a persuasive call. There is a persuading nature to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, don't misunderstand. Persuasion and manipulation are two different things. Manipulation is dangerous. Coercion is dangerous. Oh, but persuasion is sweet. The Holy Spirit of God persuades us. The old preachers used to call it the wooing of His Spirit. He persuades us because He loves us so much. That persuasion is when the stirring happens in your spirit and the songs are being sung and the word is being taught and being preached and all of a sudden something physical becomes something spiritual and God begins doing business with your heart. That is the persuading power of the Holy Spirit of God. I cannot work up a service. We cannot practice music enough to penetrate the heart. I cannot preach hard enough to penetrate the heart. But I'm thankful to know that God's still small voice is more persuasive than any argument man could make, more powerful than any tone of music that could be uttered. It is a persuasive call. But number three, it is a prerogatory call. Everybody say that word with me. A prerogatory. Y'all didn't do it. A prerogatory call. I got, I got rebuked on the way here this morning because my wife didn't know how to spell that word. She said, I hate when you put words in the outline you don't know how to spell. I said, well, I'll do you one better. I ain't even sure it's a real word, all right? But it's all right because it'll preach. Now think about this. How many of you are between age 35 and 45? Sorry, Brother Ricky, didn't mean to hold you out. 35 and 45. 
All right, you're going to remember a guy named Bobby Brown. I have an outfit just like Bobby Brown. I could have worn it. Bobby Brown was a real popular uh, singer when, uh, in, back in the 80s. And Bobby Brown used to sing this song called, It's My Prerogative. Y'all here know that as an oldies, okay? My prerogative. So when I think about that, Bobby Brown was saying, it's my prerogative, it's my choice. Beloved, may I say to you that God does issue to us a personal call. And it is a persuasive call and it does penetrate the heart of men, women, boys and girls. But ultimately, he is the perfect gentleman and it is our prerogative whether we accept or reject his call. Sometimes somebody will call me and I'm not where I can talk. Now, I'll be honest, I take my phone everywhere with me. Everywhere. But sometimes I can't talk. And I'll hit the later button or I hit the, you know, whatever. I have to cut it off, you know. Sometimes Miss Kitty's phone goes off in service. She has to cut it off, you know. And you know, whenever somebody does that to me, when I'm calling them, I always wonder, did they just not want to talk to me? Why didn't they answer me? Why did they reject my call? When God calls, it's up to us whether to reject or accept. And by the way, there's not a third option. I'm not a Facebook person. I wouldn't know how to get on it if I had to. I got enough issues in life. But I do know that I've shared this story before. But a number of years ago, I was missing things that were going on because it was on Facebook. And that was the only way to find out about it. So Tiffany said, I'm going to get you an account. So she did. Signed me up, put my name, all those things, plugged it right into that social media stuff. I never logged in or logged on or checked in or whatever you do. All right? I never went on. Never. And every so often I get an email telling me they've missed me. I thought, we ain't missed me. You never met me. And telling me that I had some friend requests that were pinned. I didn't know what a friend request was. I grew up, didn't nobody want to be my friend. Didn't want to pick me to play kickball. I didn't understand what that was all about. And so literally a few years passed and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of friend requests piled up. I had no idea. And finally one day somebody said, why didn't you accept my friend request? I wanted to say because I don't like you. But I thought that seemed kind of harsh. So I said, what are you talking about? Well, you haven't accepted my friend request. And then it hit me. Doggone it, I ain't even been on Facebook and it's still giving me grief. So I said, Tiffany, you're going to have to get me off this thing. Just pull my name off or can't, you know, I'm just not on there because I ain't got time to be fooling with all this stuff. And uh, so she did. And she did, she said, my goodness, and I don't remember the exact number, but it was many, many hundred friend requests. You see, I had, listen, I had not chosen to reject those friend requests. I hadn't gone on there and put reject, 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 Reject. I just hadn't chosen to accept, so therefore by default I had rejected. Here's the thing. Many people will say, I've not rejected God. I've not turned God down. I've not said no to God. Well, listen, if you hadn't said yes to God, it's the same as saying no to God. Don't reject his friend request today. It's your prerogative. Here's something I want you to take with you. Now, don't, don't forget this. When we think about salvation and how the process works, okay, the conversation that leads to conversion is instigated by God and not us. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, the rest of it. Let me give it again. The conversation that leads to conversion, that is salvation, is instigated by God and not us. That's important to understand because it's all about His timing. 
It's all about his, uh, you know, his uh, uh, perfect will. You know, he's, he's coming and he's laying it out there. Here's the invitation. We reject, we reject, we reject. There comes a point that he says, I've issued enough invitations. It's enough. Old preachers would call it sending away your, your, your day of grace or sending away your day of opportunity. There's only some, so many times the Holy Spirit of God will knock upon your heart's door until finally he'll say, that's enough. That's enough. Praise God. Number one, there is a call to conversion. He personally calls your name. Number two, moving quickly. There is the calmness in his company. There is the calmness in his company. Is there anybody on this planet that you feel calm so long as they're around? Anybody? In the early days here in my ministry, I went very few places without Thomas Grimes. Most of you know Thomas. Those that don't, uh, Thomas was 350 pounds, six foot seven or so. He was a man. His hand was bigger than my whole arm. I mean, this was a big dude. And I never worried so long as I was with him because I knew that he had my back. May I say to you that the one that spoke all matters into existence... The one who put the mountains in their place, the seas in their place, the one who set the sun, moon, and stars, he's got your back. He's with you. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never turn from you even if you turn from me. I will be there. I am a very present help in your time of trouble. He was with David when he fought the Goliath, and he'll be with you when you face your giant as well. When I think about the calmness of his company, I think about those two words in the Bible that simply says, be still and know that I am God. All right, you've heard that. Be still and know that I am God. Think about that. Literally translated means this. Be still and know that I am the I am. Be still and know that I am present. I remember when I was in grade school, and I don't know if they still do this, Craig, or not, but but back when I was in school, every day you had, uh, they took the role, you know? I always wonder why she just didn't look around and mark us, but she took the role. And they always started with the A's and went down to the Z's. See, like every year there was some little boy in my class, a little girl in my class named Zimmerman, always the last one. But I remember they'd start off. Johnny Adams, present, you know. Timothy Baker, present. Susie Clark, present all the way down. And every time the person would cry out, present, present, present. If you are a believer this morning, may I say to you, every morning when you wake, cry out, Holy God, and he would cry out, Present. When you find yourself in the midst of a trial and cry out to Holy God, he would cry out back, Present. In fact, there will never be a moment where he will not be present. Think about this, though. Number one, his shepherding. When I think about his company, I think about his shepherding. It is an Old Testament and New Testament truth we can look at. In the Old Testament, David, who was a shepherd, said this, The Lord is my shepherd. And then he began to talk about the mighty power of the shepherd. How he led him by the still waters and through the, you know, the green pastures and all those things. And He was saying, literally, the shepherd's going to be with me. The shepherd's going to protect me. The shepherd's going to provide for me. The shepherd's going to pursue me when I err. I love the story of the shepherd. All day long, the shepherd leads the sheep. If you were to travel with me to Moldova today, where our church sits is a very common avenue where the sheep go in the morning. They go out to the pasture in the evening. They come back. And man, you better watch out because you can get run over. And I love to watch the shepherds as they're coming with their staff in their hand. It's pretty funny because they got a staff in one hand and a cell phone in the other. It's true, but they do. And those 
shepherds are calling out. These are Romanian sheep, so they only understand Romanian. I don't understand that, but anyway. And they'll cry out something that I don't understand, but I don't need to because I'm not a sheep and I don't belong to that shepherd. But whatever that shepherd cries out, that sheep knows exactly what to do. And they turn to the right or they turn to the left. They start faster. They slow down, whatever it is. But they're following the lead of the shepherd. And all day long, the shepherd's taking care of them. In biblical days, at the end of the day, the shepherd, in order to protect the sheep, would gather all of his sheep. He would count them. If there was one missing, he would go after them. Why? Because he knew the sheep, he knew the sheep name by name, one by one. He would go after them. But when he finally had them all, he would gather them and herd them together and put them into a cave. A hollowed out place in, the, in, in a rock, wherever it be. And he'd put them all in there. And then he would lay down across the mouth of that cave. Literally saying to any enemy, to any wolf, to any predator, the only way you're going to get to my sheep is to go through me. The moment you and I are saved, we become a sheep of his fold. A sheep of his pasture. And the Bible says that he will protect us. He laid down his life for us. Think about that. The only way anything can get to us is to go through the shepherd. You say, now wait a minute. Bad things sometimes happen. Think about Satan in the presence of God saying, I want to get to Job. And God allowed him to. But he had to go through the Lord. Number two, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. In the book of John chapter 10, the Bible says, Jesus says, I am their shepherd and they hear my voice. If you're here today and you have lost friends and you're trying to talk to them about spiritual things, but they don't get it, understand that they do not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the shepherd who will call out to them. They do not have the ability to understand. First, they must receive salvation, become a sheep of his pasture. Then they'll understand the voice of God. Sometimes I'll have a house full of kids. Some of them are mine, some of them aren't. My kids heed my voice in a different way than those that are not my children. Number two, not only his shepherding, but his sending. I love this part. Jeremiah's prophecy, chapter number one and verse number five. You know this verse. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly. That's right. We're a child in the belly. Not a fetus anyway. I knew thee. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified thee. That is, I set you apart. And I ordained you, I commissioned you for my ministry as a prophet unto the nations. Well, understand this. Not everybody is going to fit into verse number five. You say, well, God didn't call us to be prophets. God didn't call us all to be preachers. God didn't call us all to be music ministers or youth pastors or children's ministers or whatever. But God does send us all. There's never been a person that he saved that he didn't have an ultimate purpose to use your life. Now think about this. In Jeremiah 1, 5, he says, I know you. I know everything about you. Even knew you before you were born. I think that's pretty cool. And I have a plan for you. A plan to prosper you. A plan to give you an expected and expedient and a blessed end. He wants to send us. Now think about that. When we think about the personal relationship we have with Christ, He personally wants to send us. He personally wants to use us. He has a personal purpose for each and every one of our lives. That's why He made us different. Think about this. If you were building a machine, if you're building a machine, they have a vacuum cleaner. You're going to build a million vacuum cleaners exactly to the same specifications because every single vacuum cleaner is supposed to do one thing, vacuum. But God does not make robots. God makes us each and every one specific and unique with gifts that are one of a kind. Why? Because he has a specific and a unique and a one of a kind purpose for your life and for mine. His sending. Oh, but there's more. 
where he sends, he secures. We see his shepherding. We see his sending, and then we also see his securing. Psalm 139 is a beautiful passage. We don't have time to look at the entire scripture, but the Bible says this, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. In other words, you know when I sit down, you know when I get up. You understand my thoughts from afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Verse 14. Lord God, I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God knows everything about you. Even before you know it about yourself, God knows. By the way, any time in the Scriptures God sins, He always closes with the same promise. The Great Commission, He said, Go. Lo, I am with you always. Acts 1.8, Go. And I will be with you. Understand that he will never send you off alone. Personally, he will accompany you. Personally, he will be with you. Personally, he will protect and provide for you. The paraclete, that is our Holy Spirit. His purpose is for protection, for promotion, for providence. And he cries out, if you know me, do not be anxious. Trust me. Trust me. Be still. You ever think about the future? One night I was lying in the bed not able to sleep. I looked over at my wife and a thought came to mind. A, she's too pretty for me. Number two, Lord, one of these days, one of us is going to die. Maybe because I spend a lot of my time dealing with death. And I began thinking about that. And I began wondering how she would cope without me. How I would cope without her. How I could possibly deal with that experience. Uh, Praying that I would go first and, and almost becoming overwhelmed as if the event had actually happened. And then it occurred to me. I'll not cross that valley alone. For in Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he said, he who leads me through the valley of the shadow of death not to it not up to the precipice of it not up to the edge of it not to the middle of it but through it those things that God allows us to go through he will be with us every step of the way I think the opportunities as a parent when my children have grown up and and things that they would look at me and they would say you're going with me right I loved it when Haston was so small learning to ride a bicycle and he wanted me to hold on and hang on and then His first day of kindergarten when I wanted to walk him in, he looked back and said, Dad, that's far enough. I got it from here. Can I tell you, sometimes as the children of God, we want God's presence. And sometimes we look at him and say, Daddy, I can handle this. The fact of the matter is he does not want us to have to handle it alone. There's never been a situation in the Bible where God's people were left alone unless they so chose that end. Number three, and I'm done, and this is the best part yet. When we think about the fact that he knows us by name, we think about the call to conversion. I'm with you. We think about the comfort that we have in his company. But thirdly, we see there will be personally our name involved 
in the command of His coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. You know this passage. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard this at the graveside. Paul writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep, that is, those that are dead, that you would sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For here you go. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. It's not opinion, but it is the word of God. Here it is. This is what's going to happen. Now think about this. The Bible says that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, the return of Jesus, shall not precede those which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, it's the word rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Two things and I'm done. Number one, today's all been about personal things, the presence of God and the call of God and all of this. But when we think about the rapture, we sometimes think of this big thing that we cannot understand fully and it's just too, uh, you know, too magnificent to, to behold and, you know, uh, we, we, we just are overwhelmed by the very thought of it. But I want us to think about it for just a moment in a very, very personal way. Number one, there will be a personal descension. There will be a personal descension. On the day of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, recorded in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus began ascending up into the heavens. And can you just see it on the side of this mountain? Everybody's looking up and undoubtedly gawking and gazing up into heaven, their mouths open, not knowing exactly what they're seeing. And the angel steps out from glory and appears and says this, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus who's being taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. He's coming personally. He's coming visibly. He's coming victoriously. But he's coming. He's not sending a band of angels. He's not, he's not sending the Old Testament prophets. He's not sending the saints of old. But he's coming personally for you and me. And that just brings uh, eschatology right down where it's real simple. He's coming back. He's coming back. But there are a couple details in this text that are just pretty awesome. Number one, the Bible says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. My, my, can you imagine? With a shout. Man, I wanted to find out this week, what's He going to shout? Now the Bible says, With the voice of the archangel, and I'm thinking, okay, is Jesus shouting or is the archangel? But it doesn't say, the, it doesn't say Michael, it says the voice. So understand when it says, when it says there'll be a shout... He will step out himself. He will shout with the voice. What does that mean? It means he is shouting with the voice of authority. He is the only one at that moment that ha will have the authority to announce his coming. Man, I got all excited about that. And I said, but I'm going to dig a little bit more. And I want to know what word will he exclaim? What word will he proclaim? What word will he shout? But it's not there. It's just not there. Uh, some theologians believe that it may be something like enough. 
as he sees his children persecuted and the trials and tribulations and as he's been waiting and and wanting and desiring. And finally, when the father gives the command to go, he will step out from glory and cry out, enough! Maybe he will shout, now! Maybe like kiddos playing hide and seek, he'll cry out, ready or not, here I come! But as I prayed for a word from the Lord... God took me to that door. I don't know, 50 or 60 times, I guess, I've stood behind this door. Normally on a Saturday, church meeting house filled with people dressed to the nines, some on the bride's side and some on the groom's. Flowers and candles and the music a-going. But you see, on the Friday night before that occasion, I've met with the bride and groom. And I've met with the wedding director. And I've met with the musicians and I say, okay, y'all, we've got to have a plan. I've got to know when it's time. Because I'm holding, sometimes literally, (laughs) I'm holding the groom back here. Not really, I've never done that. And I've got to know when the time is right. So we set the cue and we say, well, when you hear this particular music and when you hear this particular sound, sometimes it's the chimes going off. Sometimes it's the organ or the piano playing a certain tune. Whatever it might be, this is going to be the sound. This is going to be the acknowledgement that the time is right and that the time has been completed and that the betrothal period has now come to an end and it's time for the marriage and it's time for the bride to be united with her groom. As I prayed about that, I thought about, and we're saving up for a little peephole so I can look out. Can I tell you the truth? Here it is. The truth is, we bought a peephole years ago to put in this door so I could look. But then we had a building and grounds meeting and we had a discussion about it. And here was the problem. If they put the peephole where I could see out of it, they were worried the next preacher might not be able to. It'd be so low. So we never put a peephole in the door. I think it went something like that. But anyhow, back to what I was preaching on. Just thought you might want to know that little tidbit of information. Back to what we were saying. So I began thinking about what it's like every time standing back there and the poor, poor groom's nervous and the best man's back there and I'm nervous hoping I don't completely make a, a mess of things, you know. And I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening and finally I hear my key. And I look at the groom, and I say, it's time, it's time, and he busts through the door, and he can't wait to come out and see his bride adorned and ready for him. What will he shout? I don't know, but there'll be great authority in it. Number two, the Bible says not only will there be a shout with the voice of the archangel, but there will be the trump of God. The trump of God. If you go back in the Old Testament, you understand the feast of the trumps and you understand that this will be the last trump, the last feast. But ultimately, when you think about the trumpet, we have to go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is, by the way, the motto of our nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You'll get that later. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The trumpet of God will be the victory sound. Old preacher said, when I hear the toot, I'm going to scoot. What will that be like to hear that shout and to hear that trumpet? Enough! It's time! Victory is ours. There will be a personal descension, but finally, there will also be a personal ascension. A personal ascension. The Bible says we will be caught up together. We we see very clearly here that there will be personally, one by one by one. If you were to go to a graveyard today, typically there's not one sign out front that says graveyard, and you just walk in and there's a bunch of lumps in the ground. You walk through the midst of a graveyard and you see grave after grave after grave with the headstone, with the name and the date of birth and the date of death and all of these things. And you know that there is a person buried in this grave. There is somebody here and they are somebody unique. They are somebody that was created in God's own image. Every single grave will be opened individually and personally. Number one, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible doesn't say that all of those who have died will somehow squeak in. The Bible does not say that, well, everybody did their best. At the end, he's just going to take everybody in. But the dead who died in Christ. That's the wonder of the resurrection. But there's more. The Bible says there will be the alive in Christ. Those who are alive remain. Those will be raptured. Those will be rescued. To help emphasize the personal point of this, I want you to imagine Jesus has traveled and he's gotten there three days late and as he enters the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he is met with almost retribution. Jesus, where have you been? Jesus, you're late. Jesus, if you'd have been here, You could have done something, but you can't do anything now. Our brother's been dead three days. He's already stinking. The Bible says that. And Jesus steps up to the plate, doing that which he knew he could do and he would do, fulfilling the perfect will of the Father, defying the will of those that were around him, because God doesn't always work how we want God to work. And Jesus steps up and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now you read that story and you say, well, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. If Jesus would have for a moment been a little absent-minded like I was last week, and maybe Jesus would have forgotten old Lazarus' name, and he'd have tried to cover for himself, and he'd have said, come forth. Every single dead body in this world would have at that moment been resurrected. He particularly and specifically said, Lazarus, you and you alone come forth. I believe on the day of the rapture, I don't understand how it's going to happen. But the voice of Christ that will shout will not simply say, come forth. But it will be specifically to those who knew him. And to those he knew. A personal ascension. May I ask you today. Will you be in that number? 
You see, our personal ascension begins with our personal decision. There's plenty of places where the Bible says our name, our name, our name. If you Google that, there are hundreds of places where the Bible says he knows my name. He knows my name. But in the last book of Scripture, the book of Revelation, there is one particular place that our name is very important. Revelation 20, the Bible says that anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life shall have no part in heaven. But in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 5, man, I tell you, of all the verses I studied this week, this is the best. It says literally that there will come a day that Jesus himself will read from the Lamb's book of life and in the hearing of his Father, the sweet lips of Jesus will utter each of our names who have accepted him as Savior. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? You say, well, that's going to take a long time. A day's a thousand years. It's all right. Ain't nobody going to be in a hurry because ain't nobody going to have anywhere to go there. Where they're going, amen? And one by one by one by one. And I remember as a little boy in grade school, how I would sit there and they'd start out with the A's and they'd get down to the B's and the C's and the D's and the E's and they'd get on down and I'd remember it's coming close to my time and I'd get my present ready, you know, and she'd call out Cameron McGill and I'd say, present, I'm thankful to know that when Jesus Christ wets his lips and begins crying out each of those names, with each name he'll remember hanging upon that cross for them. He'll remember the blood, sweat, and tears that he bore on their behalf and with everyone he'll cry out their name with great appreciation and admiration for the mighty work of the cross and you and I will step forward and say here I am unworthy and unfit but I'm thankful that a long time ago way back yonder I accepted when he called out my name the first time I want to ask you we've talked all about our name but have you accepted his name? July the 15th 1995 I remember I was getting ready to walk into the church After years of begging, I'd finally agreed to marry Tiffany. I'm kidding. Very much. I remember standing there and and, and all the thoughts that I could think. Can you imagine what that would be like, Josh? One day, one day. All the thoughts I could think. This is what I thought. She is getting ready to take my name. She's getting ready to take my name. She she loves her family and has a good legacy and a good heritage and a strong last name. But she's going to give that up and she's going to embrace my name. And from this point forward, every day of her life, she'll be known by my name. And even when she dies, they'll place my name upon her grave. What a thought, beloved. May I ask you today, as we've explained in detail that God does know your name. Have you received his name? The name of Christ. Are you a Christian? You see, you got to make that decision. And it's a personal decision. If we were to open the book up today, and we were to get down to where your name should be, is your name written there? Written by the mighty hand of God and the precious blood of Jesus with indelible ink that cannot fade and will not be taken away. Nobody will blot it out. Nobody will erase it. It's permanent. Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? As you see on TV sometimes, this is a limited time offer. This is a limited time offer. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of another day. 
I'm not trying to put pressure on you, manipulate you in any way. In fact, if God's not calling your name today, I'm going to do all I want to do, and it's not going to amount to a hill of beans. But if God is calling your name today, don't look and say, I believe I'm going to silence that one. I believe I'm going to wait and talk to that one again some other time. Father, thank you for your precious word. God, what an easy thing to do just to stand upon that word and to preach, thus saith the Lord. But God, now I pray that you, O Holy Spirit, would do that which only you can do, that you would penetrate the hearts of each person here. For that person that may have never accepted Jesus as their Savior, O God, may this be the day, may this be the appointed time. And oh God, for young people that may be here today that feel so unwanted and unneeded and undeserved. Lord, they just don't know where their place is in this crazy world. Lord, help them to know that you know them and that you love them and that you've got a great plan for them personally. Oh God, this may be the very last time that I stand at this altar. Lord, you may take me in death. You may take me in rapture either way. But Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that under the sound of my voice, every person... Lord, would hear your call, hear you utter their name, and that they would not turn you away, but they would cry out, and as your bride, they would accept your name. And it is in that name that we humbly pray. Amen.